you who have made the effort to join us this day. Do we have some people in the parking lot? All right, we're glad you're here with us too. Just a little brick wall separating us and, and some windscreens and metal and stuff like that. But if you can hear me, praise God. <clears throat> so we're going to do a little bit of a transition today. You know I've been talking about the kingdom of God pretty exclusively from the Old Testament for the last two and a half months. And I've been at pains to do this because I think for some of us we grew up thinking that the kingdom of God was more or less just a gospel phenomenon. An idea that Jesus, he just sort of came up with it. But my hope is as we've been journeying together on Sunday mornings, my hope is that we're starting to see that God's kingdom and his reign, his reign is the unifying theme holding the scriptures together. And so when Jesus came announcing, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't announcing something new, but was rather announcing a fulfillment of something that is as old as human history itself, woven throughout history up to the time of Jesus and all the way to us to this day. You see, the, the disciples of Jesus, they didn't have trouble understanding that there was a kingdom of God. They believed there was a kingdom of God and they longed for it. But their understanding of the kingdom of God, it was way too small. Jesus' disciples didn't have a hard time understanding and accepting that there was a Messiah. But their understanding of the Messiah was way too small. The idea of a Messiah who would suffer, while it was actually there in the Old Testament texts, it was something they couldn't see and didn't want. See, the story of God's kingdom and his interactions with humanity are not insular, isolated occurrences that happen independent boxes on a shelf. But God's reign in human history it's a mighty river that originates in God and is woven into every human life, including us here today. But Jesus' understanding of God's mission, Jesus' understanding of God's kingdom, and Christ's own unique role in it, people looked at what Jesus was saying and what he was doing, and they thought it was dangerous. In fact, Jesus' teaching was such a challenge to the Judaism of that day that the people, especially the people in power, they viewed it as a threat and dealt with it accordingly. Jesus himself understood this and addresses that in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
and even today as Christians, I think sometimes we inadvertently, in, inadvertently discount uh, and put the Old Testament in a category of less important, less relevant, a little more distant than the rest of the Scriptures. And while we have to own in the Old Testament that there are things that are difficult to understand, mysteries we can't explain, these stories do help us understand things about God, understand things about human nature, about ourselves, and even in the Old Testament, we learn and understand things about Jesus Christ. Paul says this, He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Primarily, the Scripture Paul is talking about is the Old Testament. The New Testament is still being written. It's still being collected and codified. So I don't think we need to be threatened by the difficulty of understanding the Old Testament stories or the narratives of the Hebrew Scriptures in their complexity, in their rawness, in their, politically, their political incorrectness. We've just got to take them as they are and let the Spirit teach us things about them and use them. You see, Jesus Christ, He is our hermeneutic. Jesus Christ is our lens of understanding, even the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit does a work to help us connect those stories to our real, everyday lives. Because of my faith and with the Spirit's help, I see Jesus Christ all over the Old Testament. And this is the same kind of heart that Paul had when he wrote these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him. All things hold together. Keep in mind, these are the words of a Pharisee and a former persecutor of the church who now says about Jesus Christ, He started it all, He keeps it all running, and it's all for Him. That's what that verse says. So what is the relevance of the Old Testament to Christians trying to understand the kingdom of God, trying to understand the government of God, the rulership of God? It is the beginning of our story. And Christ was always there. He was always there. And I just want to encourage you to not feel intimidated to look through the Old Testament stories and find Jesus Christ in them. 
Be creative when you do this. Be free when you do this. And I think sometimes the gift of Scripture, it's been hidden to us because we try to dissect the Bible and the Scriptures as if we're dissecting a frog in biology class, when really you would do better to read the Scriptures as God's love letter to you. The book of God is for the people of God. And this is one of the fascinating things about what Jesus himself did. Jesus took the scriptures from the experts and he gave it back to normal people. Saying crazy things like, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. See, Jesus, he didn't play the game of, well, Rabbi so-and-so said this, but Rabbi such-and-such, he taught this. And that's why Matthew in his gospel, he tells us, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So, I don't know how helpful this is going to be. I just find Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament sometimes. And I'm going to share a few examples of the way I believe the Holy Spirit has helped me do this. And there's so many stories. And so this is just kind of a random sampling of thoughts that Calvin has had that I think the Lord has put there to help me chew on these things. And maybe when I share this, some of these things with you, it will invite a process of creativity in yourself. That you, my hope is that you will feel empowered to search for Jesus in these stories, to find him there, and to see how this applies to your real life. See, sometimes my words, they come out of my mouth and they fall on the ground. Because you do not see how they connect to you and what you're going through, and the circumstances that you're facing. But by God's grace, sometimes I get those words out. And by God's grace, sometimes those words don't fall on deaf ears. And by God's grace, somehow we see this has relevance to my life and all the garbage I'm going through right now. And our faith grows. And we begin to act on that faith. And God is glorified. So one example of this is there's a story in Exodus chapter 17, and it's also recorded in Numbers 20. The people were, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, and they're complaining because they don't have enough water. So uh, God tells Moses to go up ahead and find this rock. And Moses, he goes and he finds this rock. He strikes this rock, and water gushes forth for the livestock, for the crops, for all the people to drink. The Lord provides So the authors of Exodus and Numbers, when they write that the author or authors, they clearly understand that this is a miracle of God saving and sustaining his people. I don't know if the original witnesses to these events, 
those who recorded them, they, I don't know if they explicitly understood that the rock that was struck, that rock is Jesus. But that is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4. He says, And the rock was Christ, referring to these stories from Exodus and from Numbers. And the rock was Christ. So was Paul wrong to do this? Absolutely not. But he made this discovery, rather, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives in us and can quicken and enliven and bring understanding of the Scriptures to us. Is it not true that Christ was struck on our behalf? Is it not true that in Christ we find life-giving water? Is it not true that when Christ was pierced, that water and blood flowed from his side? John 19 tells us that. See, in the Numbers accounting of this event, we are told that Moses, he was supposed to speak to this rock. Speak to this rock and ask for this water. But instead, Moses, he strikes the rock. And for this sin, he's kept from entering the promised land. But even though this rock was struck in violence, it still gave forth life-giving water. Christ was struck in violence. And he did not retaliate, but prayed, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. So Paul saw Christ in this Old Testament story of a rock that was struck. And then as I prayed, Lord, show me and help me understand to see the work of Jesus in this Old Testament stories. And the thought came to me, I believe God works this way still. Uh, just an idea that was there that I don't think I would have come up on, with on my own. And I began to think, not only is Jesus like a rock that was struck, Jesus is also like a rock that strikes, is he not? So where in the Old Testament do we read about a rock that was struck or a rock that strikes? Well, last week we talked about this dream of Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel. Of an enormous giant statue, awesome in appearance, head of gold, breast of silver, belly of brass, legs of iron, and feet of iron mixed with clay. And we know that these sections represent the various kingdoms of earth. But also there is the story of a stone not cut by hands. And this stone comes and it breaks the statue apart. It is a rock that strikes. So this rock that breaks apart the succession of kingdoms on the earth. Daniel tells us explicitly it's the kingdom of God. 
and the kingdom of God belongs to one called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is not Jesus also a rock that strikes? Uh, and, and taking this even further, and this is not good exegesis. This is not the way they teach you to do it in graduate school at Abilene Christian or wherever. This is something special that the Lord does for people who just come honestly and look for Jesus in the stories of faith. The book of God is for the people of God. So when I read this, and I, th I think Paul talks about Jesus as the rock that is struck, and now Calvin, all these years later, this little preacher in this little church in Eugene, Oregon, he's thinking, he's seeing Christ in a, a rock that strikes as well. Do you think Paul would be upset with what I'm doing? I think he wouldn't just not be upset. I think he would rejoice. Rejoice that I feel the freedom to glorify Jesus Christ and find him in these stories. And so another rock I think of that strikes, and this is even further out on a branch maybe. What about the story of David and Goliath? Am I allowed to find Christ in that story? Of this shepherd boy who goes and he picks up pebbles to face a giant who's standing and defying the armies of God. And can I not think that, how is Christ like that? A little stone hidden, a little rock, hidden and unassuming and humble. And yet that rock, in the hands of a person of faith, has the power to demolish giants. The giants, of, the giants of life that have everyone else shaking in their boots through faith in Jesus Christ. I have a rock that strikes and I can act in faith. Is it wrong to think of Christ as a little rock that strikes down the giants that stand in defiance to the plans of God? Or Christ in the story of the Tower of Babel? This is another one I've been thinking about. And these are just kind of random examples that, that, that I've been thinking about. I look at this story, and it's a story about humanity coming together. They build this giant tower to reach to the heavens, and they act in pride. It says, they do this, it says this, let us make a name for ourselves. And I compare that with Jesus Christ and his acts of humility, who acts in humility and says he does not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. They say let's make a name for himself, but because of Christ's humility, God gives him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we know in that Tower of Babel story, the result of that pride is that their language is confused and they are scattered, it says, throughout the earth. In pride, their language is confused. In pride, they are scattered. 
in Christ, we find understanding with one another, do we not? I'm telling you, as a missionary for 14 years in Africa, among the Sukuma tribe, a tribe of people that are dirt poor, their worldview is completely different. But we found our common ground together in Jesus Christ. Jesus brings the things that have been scattered and gathers them together. Is it not right to see Christ alive in stories like the Tower of Babel? Or think about Abraham when he goes to sacrifice his son Isaac. Christ was there when Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham, when he answers his son, God himself will provide the lamb. Was not Jesus Christ there? Or when Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught in a thorn bush, is that not somehow like one who is called a lamb of God with a crown of thorns on his head? And this is where it gets really interesting. Not only is Christ there in these Old Testament stories waiting for you to discover him, for those of us who've made Jesus Christ the Lord of our life in truth, he lives in our hearts. And he waits for us to discover him there in our hearts and in our circumstances of life to find him again and again and again. Paul says it this way, this is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So everywhere we discover Christ and everywhere we discover his kingdom, those stories that we read about, the spirit that was alive and making these things happen, that same spirit works with us to teach us to rebuke us, to heal us, to help us, to save us. That same spirit that is in these stories is in our hearts and our lives to guide us. Just let, the, let that sink in for a minute. And I, this is the part I can't preach, but only the Spirit of God Himself can help do. To help the truth of that sink into your hearts and you to find hope in that and your faith to grow. So just use your sanctified imagination and try to picture what these stories are like and uh, 
Even put yourself in the role of these characters and to think what spirit is at work in these stories and discover Christ in it. So, for example, if you want to close your eyes and just think about this, if it helps you. Otherwise, just listen to these words. And this is a story from Genesis 15. Imagine you're in a desert at nighttime. There's no other lights around. And yet you see things clearly because of all of these stars lit up in the night sky. And the Lord whispering to his servant Abram, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. What does Abram feel in that moment? Verse 6 of chapter 15 of Genesis, we are told Abraham believed, Abram believed God and he credited to him his righteousness. What did that feeling of belief feel like in Abraham's heart? That same spirit that was alive in that moment thousands of years ago is available to us through Jesus Christ. And these stories are everywhere for us to find Jesus in them. Or think about this. You remember the prophet Nathan when he confronts King David over King David's sin with Bathsheba. Do you remember that story? He tells this little story to the king. And he says to the king in front of him, you are that man. What kind of fire and zeal was in the heart of the prophet Nathan when he said that? That is your legacy as well to have that kind of fire and zeal. Or how about, how about uh, David when he feels struck by that and he knows of his sin and his wickedness and his shame is scattered around the nation. Everyone knows at his failure and what he's done. What was David feeling in that moment when he writes Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Rather, restore to me the joy of my salvation that I find in you. Have you not felt that burden of shame? Have you not felt that burden of our own sin and that cry from your heart that says to God, create in me a pure heart, O Lord? Or how about the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He preaches through a lifetime and has no results. 
He's, defe- he's defeated. He's depressed. He goes into exile with people. He goes down to Egypt rather than Babylon. And he writes Lamentations, which is just horror after horror after horror after horror until you get to one little section where he says, and yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the story of Abraham, we find a spirit of faith. In Nathan, we find a spirit of zeal and boldness. In, in David, when he writes the 51st Psalm, a spirit of repentance. What does that spirit of repentance feel like? In Jeremiah, when he writes Lamentations, we find a spirit of hope amidst impossible circumstances and amidst all of the pain. This little shiny spark of hope. Who is this spirit? The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I believe that this is why the kingdom of God was so important to Jesus Christ, and He made it a priority of everything that He taught and He preached. And this is why Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The reason why the kingdom of God is supposed to be the priority in front of all your other priorities is this. When we step into that kingdom by faith, when we come under that rulership and that government, We have everything we need, not just to survive, but everything we need to thrive. To thrive in a world that's falling apart around us. And in the power of the kingdom, by God's grace, we, even now in this life, become agents of God's healing for as far as the curse is found, everywhere that sin goes. The people of God go with the power of His healing through His Holy Spirit. And that's why I think that's so relevant. Because the same Spirit that was in Moses that gave him the boldness and strength to say to the king of the world, the Pharaoh, let my people go. That same spirit is in the heart of a mother crying out against the demons, captivating their children with their phones and on their screens, whispering lies to them, filling their head with deception, stealing the hearts of our sons and our daughters. A mother who cries out against that, let my people go. Is that not the same spirit? There are so many men in this world that never grow up to be men. 
and they're selfish and self-serving. All of their time is theirs. They They neglect their wives. They neglect their children. It's all about their career. It's all about the accumulation of wealth. How the same Spirit that is in Joshua can be in a godly man who rises up to be a spiritual leader in his family, who can say, choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That Spirit is there for you. Men and women who are exhausting themselves, trying to handle the circumstances of life in their own strength and power. The spirit that was in Zechariah also whispers to us in our spirit, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And in a world characterized by broken families, that's the norm, broken families. Relationships of animosity and hatred between children and their parents, between parents and their children. A spirit of hope that inspired the prophet Micah, Malachi, to write these words is a spirit of hope that we can have as well. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Malachi 4.6 All of this is our legacy and our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Can you not feel the power of His Holy Spirit available to you in your life? To instead of giving up, instead of surrendering your hope, to fight on and be courageous with the spirit of zeal and boldness. And when you make mistakes, to have a spirit of repentance, to have a spirit of faith like Abraham had. To have a spirit of hope amidst your pain like Jeremiah had. That's our legacy and that's our story in the kingdom of God. And that's why these lessons are so crucial for us as a church. So, BP, you can come up. Uh, Our invitation is to let these scriptures speak to you on that level. To let the Spirit of God work in your life on that level. And so I'm going to close with Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite benedictions. And this is Paul's prayer, which is a prayer I pray now for us. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom all his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.